over the weekend, I think I figured out exactly what generation you are part of. Oh, boy. You are a geriatric millennial. I don't like either one of those. When you think about the term geriatric millennial, I want to shorten it to being just a gerennial. I think we have some of those planted in the back. Let me see if you really are a geriatric millennial. Here's a couple of questions. Did you have a Hotmail, Yahoo, or AOL email address? I'm sure I did. I can't think what it would have been offhand. Have you ever made a mixtape, usually featuring Boys to Men or Mariah Carey? Yes and yes. Also, Jodeci. Do you remember how annoying it was when your mom was on the phone and you couldn't use the internet? Oh, yeah, for sure. How about Listerine strips? Have you ever used those? Oh, yeah. I, I was, I'm a huge Listerine fan anyway, uh, if they're interested in sponsoring the show. But yeah, those were great. All I could say is, okay, Gerennial. Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 241 of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed, how's it going? It's going well. It is going well. Uh, matter of fact, just found a whole box of mixtape. Well, and I was just checking my Yahoo email account, so we're all good. Thank you for uh, tuning in. Thank you for listening. Uh, this is, of course, Touchpoint, who is a part of Touchpoint. You may say, I don't really know what that means. Well, our website, touchpoint.health, if you go there, you'll notice our show, also called Touchpoint, is alongside a number of other shows. The Exam Room, Digital Health Unfiltered, Data Point, The Source from the ATA, The Morning Fix, et cetera. There's a whole bunch of them there. Close to 20, I think, at this point. Check those out. They, they're all here on the network with us, have great show hosts, cover great topics, would encourage you to search around, find other things that might be interesting to you. While you're there, you'll notice up in the top nav, something called the TPS report. If you'll click on that, give us your name and your email address. Uh, we will send you one email, count them one email a week. It comes every Monday morning, unless it's a holiday, then it's on Tuesday mornings with five articles to start your week. So really quick read, uh, make something catch your eye from week to week uh, or every so often uh, that would be useful in your daily role. So we promise not to use that email address for anything else other than to send you that singular email. Mm -hmm. We would love it if you would uh, subscribe to the show. So rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of fun stuff is a great way for people to find us. But even more importantly, if you could tell exactly three people, I'm sure there's three people uh, within proximity to you right now, tell them about the show. I don't care who they are. We would love that. So we're going to take a brief pause here, and then we'll be back to jump into today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. 
Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Reed, we have a good show on deck for today because it's becoming more and more important for organizations that we work for to develop personalized experiences to help build differentiation. Don't you agree? It is. It's like there's there's a lot available to us. Therefore, sometimes with more options, it's just more options, right? Um, it makes it hard in, in a lot of cases to really hone in on what's uh, impactful. We've talked about personalization before. There's a handful of, of episodes, actually literally a handful, five episodes that we've done specifically about this topic. But today we wanted to go a little bit deeper to share our viewpoints around when personalization becomes TMI, right? Too much information. Boy, that's interesting because uh, it's often, I'm sure. Let's pull up a couple articles. Let's talk through those. And I think this may kind of paint the picture a little bit. Um, I think this Adweek article that you found to, to kick us off is a good one. It's called Personalization is a Team Effort and Technology is Only One Player. So I think that is a misnomer sometimes that you know personalization is driven by uh, technology, that it's you know purely a technological challenge. That's not necessarily the case. Certainly it helps, you know, to be able to segment and those types of things, but that's not really, you know, the tripping point for a lot of folks. That is true. I mean, integration of technology, good MarTech strategies kind of build all together. But in the end, if you really want to show that you're doing good personalization, it needs to be a lot more than that. And the article indicates that if you want proof of inadequate personalization efforts, just look at your own inboxes and, and browser walls, because there's a lot of people trying to make attempts to personalize information to you. And we know they're way off, right? Think about the ads that follow you everywhere you go after you bought that exact same pair of shoes. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's, I, I appreciate a lot of the effort that goes into this because obviously we, we spend a lot of our time looking at this and doing this and trying to execute and come up with different methodologies. But, but yes, it's like, okay, how do I quit getting the Amazon ad? Like I, I've already bought it, right? That's one thing. Certainly there's also the, like I can think, pick a streaming service. It doesn't really matter. Netflix, Hulu, Prime, whatever it is. I know you can make different profiles and that's all fine and good. But my five-year-old who can use the television and knows how to do it, doesn't necessarily always change profiles. Therefore, you know, she starts watching a bunch of stuff and it throws off all of my recommendations of like what, you know, again, Netflix or Hulu or Prime or whoever thinks I might want to watch. And I think that like more sophisticated organizations like Amazon has tried to set up householding now. I mean, they're, you know, profiles and Netflix and things like that. But not only is are, are these personalization engines really channel specific in many, many cases, which we definitely aren't, right, as people, as consumers, so to speak, they rely a lot on data 
that is kind of inputted into the systems themselves, right? So data is the fuel, as this article says. And in order to make fuel work efficiently, it has to be clean. But as we've talked about before, a lot of this customer data that's out there, it's unorganized, it's uncategorized and disjointed. In particular, if you're starting to get into these multi-channel ways to kind of track people. Let me, let me ask. So we've got different ways that we track people, certainly in marketing, but more specifically in healthcare. Do you think it's because it's just not good enough? Hmm. Or it's not mature enough, maybe is a different way to say it. Okay, there you go. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it takes a lot, a lot of data in order to make these things work well. Personalization is in in part a numbers game. You have to have a number of different things to happen in order to start to make good personalized predictions. There's still some level of human error in there as, as well, because we're trying to target folks or get to people for different reasons. It, this isn't all automated, I guess, is my point, right? I mean, there's still some level of like we have to trigger certain things, campaigns for employees or, you know, things from a B2B standpoint, you know, trying to send stuff to or influence, you know, referral sources or what have you, or just, you know, patient acquisition or even recruitment, you know, things like that. So it's not like these things just happen on their own. And you can invest in really high expensive types of technology like customer data platforms or CDPs, mm-hmm. but not many healthcare organizations have CDPs. Very few of them do, I should say. And I think a lot of that is like, okay, well, what's it, what are we basing everything off of? You know, so again, a lot of times what we talked about a minute ago, like why am I still getting the ad after I've bought the thing? You know, it's primarily just taking into account your browsing history. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some sites, certainly, that know that you've left something in the shopping cart, and then they'll email you like, hey, finish the purchase, you know, kind of a thing. Like, I, that, okay, well, that, that maybe that's useful. That's a little bit different. But, you know, it's not really just taking into account somebody's browsing history. So, again, you know, if you just look at browsing history, you would assume I watch really anything on Netflix, you know, because again, the kids don't always flip over to their profiles, if you will, you know, and so it gets just messy. And what you're hitting on is the second thing that they're really talking about here, which is understanding the segments of the audiences that you're reaching out to, right? Maybe you do have technology, maybe you even have to do CDP, but if you and your wife and your kids are sharing the same browser and they're you know, for whatever reason, interacting with a hospital website or what have you, that could be coming, painting a cloudy picture of you as a persona. So really you have to get into how do you understand your personas or your segments that you're reaching out to in order to think about things differently. It's easy for, I say easy, it's somewhat easy for us to, I guess, sit down and go, uh, let's sketch out these per- personas, right? Like, you know, we're looking for this person and that person, and this person looks like this, and that person looks like that, and here's what they do and don't do and all those types of things. But then it's like, okay, well, what do you run that against? Like, how do you actually get that information is maybe a different different question. So the third thing, and you know, the article refers to this as a, a team effort, The Mm -hmm. third part of the team that they're talking about, too, is, okay, let's assume you got the data right. Let's assume you got your segmentations at least smart enough to understand how to personalize to different people. Then you need content. And that's where a lot of times 
all of these personalizations efforts fall fall short because you thought having a lot of data and having the right segmentation in place is hard. Imagine trying then to support that with all these various different types of content. You lost me at the uh, you know we've we've got the data and the segmentation. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And now you have to create all of the the this content <laughs> to support all of this stuff. Yeah. If you're thinking about like this whole this whole concept of you know trying to turn your brand, trying to turn your marketing efforts into being more personalized, suddenly you're facing this very daunting, daunting task of how do I get there, right? What's the way to get there? And I think the answer is really trying to you know address it a little bit differently, or at least maybe even understanding where some of the challenges might be so you can avoid those pitfalls, right? Let's do this. Let's, uh, let's pause for a quick second. We'll come back and talk about what some of those pitfalls may be. Because again, I think we, we, we have assumed there's just no downside or, <laughs> or a negative piece of the equation here when we think about personalization. So more personalization is better, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But anyway, we'll, we'll dig into a little bit of this uh, after this uh, quick pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Let's talk a little bit about the pitfalls of personalization. And, and there's a uh, you know, an article here, these are what they call six common pitfalls of personalization. So you would assume they are what? Common. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it starts out by talking about the fact that a survey from Accenture found that 91% of consumers say that they are more likely to shop with brands that provide offers and recommendations that are relevant to them. So personalization, right? There you go. If you get stuff personalized to you, you're likely to, you know, jump in on that. And I can say like, you know, I, I bought a pair of shorts off of Instagram, oddly enough, uh, during the pan- early in the pandemic when like literally no one was going anywhere and I liked them a lot. And so I bought, uh, you know, some more. And so now they target me with not emails about all their products, but when they come out with like new colors of that particular style. Okay. Right. So it's like, okay, like they, they know I've ordered two, three, four pairs of these now. I might would be interested in the fact that they now have these in Navy. So like, that's it. I know it's not like that. That's not a huge bar, but you know, it's, it's purposeful and it's meaningful and it like is driving revenue to the brand. Well, would you feel that that brand personally understands you then? Yeah, because I mean, again, they're not, they're not trying to target me with everything that they have, Right. Like here's the sweatpants and here's the hat and here's the this and here's the that. You know, they may do that like once a month or once every couple of months. You know, I get the same email everybody else gets, but I get a text message and I get an email the minute a new color releases of what I've bought from them. 
Well, you would be among an overwhelming 70% of consumers who say they will shop exclusively with brands that understand them to the level that you're describing. Now, imagine healthcare organizations starting down this path of trying to adopt humanistic and personalized approaches to build better engagement and loyalty with people. I think that this is the thrust of what this article is trying to get at is like, you should be doing this. But in order to do so, you may want to avoid one of these common pitfalls. Well, here they are, common pitfalls. So the first one, faulty or spotty data. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, garbage in, garbage out. You know, we've said that a lot, especially think about organizations setting up CRMs or uh, which kind of leads towards personalization or even like, um, you know, physician finder tools or anything that is displaying data. You know, it's taking an input and then turning around displaying data or using that data to do something. You know, it's really important uh, and you need to spend a lot of time on making sure that stuff is right, clean, you know, effective, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, gosh, yeah. There's nothing worse than getting an a email that's personalized to your last name where your first name should be. <laughs> or it's just the, uh, you know, the first name tag. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you exactly. You pull it in. Yeah, exactly. Pitfall number two is not updating your personalization strategy. So I used a term there that I think many people said, wait a second, we have to have a personalization strategy. Yes, you do. Like all aspects of customer experience, personalization efforts need to be constantly evaluated and updated. It's not one of these just one and done kind of things. You have to keep advancing that with the way technology is changing, the way consumers are changing. I mean, think about what happened over the last two years, right? About how customer preferences have changed. You have to use customer data to drive your personalization and also as a feedback to find what is and isn't working. And you constantly have to reevaluate if your personalization efforts are working, what's working, what's not working, and stay focused on the things that are relevant and also finding new trends, right? Is not having a personalization strategy a strategy? I would say that's probably the most commonest pitfall. That's probably the uber pitfall of them all, right? <laughs> <laughs> the number three on the list, uh, surface level personalization. What do you think that is? I mean, that's like the, you know, inserting the first name. <laughs> well, I, I think that's basic personalization. I think surface level personalization is like only women make choices around healthcare. Sure. Or a woman between the ages of 25 and 40 must have a family or children. That's kind of surface level personalization, isn't that right? Yeah. And I think, you know, that's where we probably find ourselves in most organizations or most cases, maybe. It's a little more segmentation versus personalization, I guess. Your customers are nuanced, so they don't fit in these basic boxes, right? Just because you turn 65 doesn't mean you automatically retire. You have to understand that and understand how you're messaging and, and reaching out to them. And again, you may make some assumptions, some shortcuts to get through this, but you can't shortcut too much. Another shortcut is pitfall number four, Reed, disjointed technology. Uh, yes. I, now, that is a common pitfall, but is it a pitfall? Because a lot of times when you're talking about this, it gets, it's challenging. To, what I think they're alluding to here is that oftentimes you have these internal silos that kind of keep customer data separated between departments and technologies. 
And one thing in healthcare I always think about is when you're in the foundation or you're doing any kind of philanthropic efforts, a lot of times they're utilizing personalization tools that really understand where you're at from a socioeconomic perspective so they can, you know, do some philanthropic work with you much better. Whereas healthcare marketing CRMs may not have that level of data. And so you're developing different personalized experiences, which seem a little bit off. Pitfall number five, crossing the line. Is that like using profanity in the emails (laughs) and stuff like that? Is that crossing the line? (laughs) No. So, I mean, well, I mean, yes, I guess. But uh, <laughs> what they talk about the fact is that, you know, while most customers expect and appreciate personalization, they also don't want too much personalization that feels creepy. This is where you get into those. It's like you and your wife are, you know, having a conversation about, you know, oh, man, you know, we really, we really could use a new coffee maker. And then like, you know, coffee maker ads start showing up on all your <laughs> social media channels. And uh, then you throw all your, you know, Alexa and Google devices out of the house. But 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 it's it's that I, I mean I I'm I kid, but that that's kind of what we're talking about here is like how do you how do you personalize without it feeling too creepy. And now granted we we have some limitations in healthcare, right? Like with remarketing, retargeting, that kind of stuff where you know, we can't do that from a service line perspective and try to reach into people's, you know, some of that privacy. There's things that we just can't do, but also you want it to feel kind of above board, right? Yeah. And in a recent episode that I was on the Healthcare Marketing for Insights podcast with uh, our friends over at True North Custom and was talking to them about the fact that personalization can sometimes be a little bit more than what we expect in healthcare. If you go to a hospital website I think that there's a certain amount of anonymity that you want when you're navigating through the website. They don't want you to be able to identify you by your, you know, your GOIP code and maybe that you've logged on before. And then they say, Hey, Chris, welcome back to this website. You don't want that level of personalization. That's crossing the line. We've heard stories too about like, you know, target sending pregnancy related catalogs to teenagers yeah, right and coupons and stuff and yeah. coupons and yeah. you know and, and you could do that right there are opportunities to get to that level of personalization but it, you just have to learn learn where that line is yeah so i mean just because you can doesn't mean you should i think it's a good adage of life right there which leads us to number six pitfall number six is around not protecting customer data The more you personalize your efforts, the more customers start to realize that you have data that centers around them. And because of that, they're kind of holding you to a certain level of trust. And when that trust is misused, then suddenly all of that data that they have about you, they're going to do everything in their power to get get it away from you. Think about like what's happening on like Facebook. That's why a lot of people aren't on Facebook anymore, because they realize they're collecting all these elements of data for you. And they've there's been so many challenges around the trust around Facebook, whereas many people don't have that same concern around Google, right? Because because they trust Google with their data. The same is true around your own personalization efforts. You have to make data protection sort of the, the centerpiece and hallmark of what you do as an organization and let them know what you're doing with their data. Just like we say to everybody every week, what we're doing with your email when you give it to us to sign up for the TPS report. That's right. Yep. One email a week, five. No, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> what do we do, right? And there's this great ad age uh, article, the future of healthcare marketing is the next best action. Uh, so let's spend just maybe a minute before we get to today's interview on next best action. So this is a thing, right, that everybody's trying to get to. But what is next best action? We've heard that um, said before, and we've done a, a show or two about this. Healthcare brands that use data and technology to anticipate the needs and desires of customers and give them the best experience possible is they are doing this thing called next best action. And this article really gets into it. It's also called sometimes next gen engagement. Next gen engagement. All right. Well, well, I was going to go down a whole meal <laughs> path, but anyway. <laughs> well, you know, they talk they talk about the fact that brands obviously want to build this lasting connection, you know, with consumers, and you know, they want it to be you know something that you know in a very busy and noisy market that you're you're the one they they think of. How do you do that is is this, right? Is next best action. Think of it, they say, as personalized marketing on steroids, caffeine, plus a B12 vitamin shot thrown in there for good measure, right? It's that powerful if you can do that. It helps to inform your marketing strategy because a lot of times consumers are expecting it nowadays. And to maximize personalization, that means that brands have to invest in understanding their customer better, in getting that first party customer data, and all of the insights and content to support delivering the right information to them at the right time through the right channel. Well, and it's funny because, you know, historically what we did, and they talked about it in here, you know, the, the, the play, you know, the move was really to uh, take something that you thought everybody would want, or really probably more accurately, you found something that you wanted people to want, and then you just you just hammered them with it. You just advertised over and over again, trying to get people, you know, and hoping people would then be interested in that thing. Doesn't work that way, does it? No. <laughs> you don't overwhelm them. Instead, you want to serve them the right information. They actually have a model that they introduced in this article that's really worth a read. So go look, click on this in our show notes. They call it the four D's that are elements of data activation to help with next best action operational monitoring. The first D read is data foundation. Create a a CDP, a customer data platform, to provide a 360-degree view of your customer's data in a consistent way that you can act on it. Absolutely. And then they talk about decisioning. I didn't know that was a word. Uh, decisioning is something I'm going to start saying a lot now. <laughs> um, but that's where you deploy advanced analytics and machine learning to really create the customer scoring that you know involves these real-time triggers. Then you really quickly pivot into the third D, which is design. Develop a model, an apparatus of digital asset management, agile marketing techniques, whatever, to design experiences that are very, as they call them, experimental in nature. So you're, you're really getting out there, you're designing an experience, you're testing it, you're tweaking it, you're getting it all in the, in the right way so that it actually works. That's your third D, right? The design phase. And then bringing up the rear here, um, or the last D, is um, distribution. So deliver marketing and experiences across channels. And then feed response data to the consumer data platform. So again, you're, you're delivering the experience, and then you're bringing that, that data back to refine inside that CDP. 
This is how you get into this next best action world. It's not easy. It's it's uh, a little bit challenging to do. But I think ultimately what it, it boils back to, Reed, is understanding where you are at, what your brand can offer to the marketplace, that you're the, the customers that you're talking to, and start to understand them so much better so you can start doing it better. And that kind of leads to our interview. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Justin Wardle of Monagle Health. Monagle is a well-known organization in this space that focuses on healthcare branding. And uh, they do an, um, a report. It's now in its fourth volume called Humanizing Your Brand Experience. And he and I had a chance to sit down and read and talk a little bit about some of the findings that they had through the most recent volume of, of this work that is very much up to date with the new consumer. But then we also get into a little bit about how we could start to become more personalized with our branding and ultimately be more humanistic when, when we're talking to our customers through these various different channels. Really great interview, and we'll give it a listen right after this break, and then we'll be back to close out the show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the SE Expert segment of the podcast, and I am delighted to have back on the show today for the second time. It's Justin Mortel from Monogol. Justin, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity to join you for the second of, I hope it will be, Five or 10 times. Five or 10 times at least. Um, you know, yeah, like I said to you prior to recording, by the fifth time you get a smoking jacket. So. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I can't yeah, wait. exactly. Exactly. So we'll work on that. But today I'm, I'm delighted to be talking to you about a recent study that your, your organization did. And Justin, before we jump into the topic du jour, I would love for people that are listening in that may not know about you and about Monogal for you to share a little bit about yourself and, and the background. I'd love to. My name is Justin Wartell. I'm a managing principal at Monogal and oversee our work in the healthcare space. From an agency perspective, Monogal is a creative experience company, and our job is to help organizations to create and distinguish the experiences that they're delivering, um, whether it's in healthcare, financial services. We work across industries, but with a, a ton of background in the healthcare space. I think what makes us a bit more distinct, though, is our orientation to looking at things in a slightly different way, uh, trying to take a slightly different perspective. We have a lot of folks that come from retail and consumer packaged goods, and they take a different approach to healthcare. And that's a lot of uh, the thinking that comes before the study that we're going to talk a little bit about today. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, uh, people may remember you from your first time that you uh, came on the show. You were talking about the previous volume of the study, which is the Humanizing Brand Experience Study. But now we're on volume four as the newest study. Is that right? Yep, volume four. And in fact, we're planning right now for volume five. The background behind the study, the reason we tried to build it in the first place was to take a different look at how healthcare brands evaluate the experiences that they're creating. 
what we see is a lot of research around the marketing funnel, and we see a good bit of research around what's happening within the four walls, whether those that be physical walls or increasingly recently virtual walls of healthcare experience. But we weren't seeing that overall orientation to what's happening before, during, and after and the impact that it has on how people make decisions about the healthcare brand that they're going to use the next time they have a need. That's interesting to kind of open that up and expand it, you know, across the entire experience, right? And this kind of parallels to one of the concepts I have around marketing evolving to becoming much more focused on experience. And is that is that true with some of the clients you're working with? We're seeing that sort of that focus expanding. Absolutely. And and that expansion that you were just describing is something that's taken place in a lot of different industries up to this point. In fact, as in some areas, unfortunately, we, we're catching up from a healthcare perspective, although catching up quite quickly, especially when you see the continued evolution of capability within healthcare organizations and then the infusion of expertise from other industries. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that we're, we're most excited about is the realization, the understanding that if you look at what was marketing is something that's brand and marketing and experience, you've essentially expanded your toolbox to include a broader set of potential ways to engage people, to connect with people, to build that emotional resonance that ultimately will cause them to choose our brand instead of another brand. And that's ultimately why we do brand work, right? Why we create experiences is to impact and connect with people so that they're more oriented to choose our brand instead of an alternative. You know, it's interesting, too, because our industry, healthcare, or that more specifically healthcare providers and health systems, that you would think that that's like kind of first and foremost in terms of the way we actually develop our brands, so to speak. But I find that a lot of times that in our organization, like you said, right, we're a little bit playing catch up. Why, why do you think that is? I think it's partially attributable to some macro factors. One, uh, we don't have the same level of competitive intensity from a, a regional or a national player historically as we do now. You're seeing this, this pressure to compete and to stand out. So part of why we operate the way we do in healthcare is because we haven't had the intensity of, of competitive pressures that many industries have had. The second piece is that marketing brand experience hasn't always been respected uh, as an organizational capability, not because anybody was trying to diminish its role proactively. It was more because there wasn't a strong connection being made between the role of marketing, between the impact and and responsibility of brand and around the idea of experience and business performance. And as we've become more savvy from a data perspective, we do know that brand drives business performance. We do know that experience drives reimbursement. We do know that marketing drives choice, especially in our increasingly digitally centered world. We're in a place where we can much more directly connect the work that we do to business performance. So that helps to change the dialogue happening between a CMO, a chief experience officer, a chief brand officer, and his or her CFO or CEO. You know, as, as, as all of this, these factors are starting to come together, something traumatic happened to us over the last two years or 18 months, I guess, which is the pandemic. And your most recent uh, study, Volume 4, pulls out some uh, insights that you gathered from uh, from what, where we're at now today, because our, our industry has kind of fundamentally changed in so many ways over the last you know year and a half. 
You're, you're absolutely right, Chris. I think one of the potential strongest values or attributes associated with humanizing brand experience volume four is the read that we provide from pre-COVID to this during COVID timeframe. We used to call it pre-COVID and post-COVID, but that's probably not an appropriate phrase um, at this point. The data that you see in Humanizing Brand Experience Volume 4 is data that was collected in November and December of 2020. And that data is compared to November, uh, December 2019. What you see in Volume 4 is a direct comparison of before COVID was really taking hold to in the midst of, of the pandemic and the challenges that it was creating. Now, what will be incrementally interesting is that for Humanizing Brand Experience Volume 5, we'll get out and talk to consumers in this now third wave, so November of 2021, and we'll be able to look at those three time periods and try to get some sort of comparison and see how things have shifted and what, what maybe has shifted and what hasn't. Reed and I have been talking a little bit about personalization, and we've been talking about, you know, sort of the technology aspects of personalizing and, and understanding your customers, et cetera. And what's interesting is in this study, it, it brings forward a couple of insights, too, that uh, are very much closely aligned to that. So do you want to dive into a couple of these? Yeah, absolutely. Let's jump in. I think that the thing to consider when you think about personalization is the, the challenges of what even that word means and how do we define it? How do we think about it within our organization? Because it's not the same for every enterprise and it's also not the same for every consumer. When you think about the consumers with whom we engaged, um, they have different priorities in terms of what drives their decision-making. They have different things that matter to them as, as healthcare consumers, but also as human beings. And we've got to be incredibly considerate. We can't take a, a blunt instrument approach to defining and understanding these individuals if we truly hope to personalize an experience for them. I think that that's probably the most underlooked. I mean, a lot of times, you know, personalization to me, because I'm a digital guy, I think about that as a technology thing, but it's a data thing. And it's also an understanding your customer thing. In fact, probably more importantly, it's understanding your customer, which is in part the basis of sort of this humanizing of your brand. So let's, let's drill into one of your findings here. Let's talk a little bit about unwavering hearts and minds, which is our way of talking a little bit about how things have and haven't changed. And in that particular section, we, we actually address personalization very directly. We look at it in two ways. So personalization uh, in the way that we measure it and how we've measured it over the last four volumes of humanizing brand experience is about how do we deliver something that's tailored to somebody's individual needs. So to your point, there's a digital facet to that. We have to think about the touch points and the messages that matter to people as they're engaging and interacting with us. But we also have to think about how our people modulate their behavior in order to deliver an experience that's, that's personalized, that's oriented to their needs. That's the functional side of personalization. At the other end of that spectrum, if we move from the functional to the emotional, we also look at the notion of individualization, which is the emotional benefit of a personalized experience. It's something where you help people to understand, to experience, to feel as if they are the top priority for the organization. And that notion of individualization is the outcome that we're working to drive. That's the purpose in some ways of personalization. 
So the first thing to consider is what role do we want personalization and individualization to play within our mindsets, within our priorities, within our tactics, thinking to your point across a much broader set of tools well beyond just those digital expressions over which we have some direct control. It's almost like individualization is sort of like personalization taken to that very individual level. It's like, it's kind of a spectrum for us. So um, as part of this, you looked at how consumer behavior or consumer emotional attributes have changed, as well as their intellectual attributes have changed over time. Where are the trend lines going? The interesting part is that while we think about how incredibly disruptive COVID has been to how we operate and how we deliver care experiences, the interesting part is that the fundamentals in terms of what is most important to people don't change all that much. So as you can imagine, Chris, we get a lot of clients that come to us and they talk about, you know, well, should I completely rethink my brand strategy? Do I need to cover or address positioning in a new way? Do I need to think in this post-COVID environment about standing for something entirely different? The short answer is no, because when it comes to the emotional drivers of choice, the top three year over year are just the same, security and freedom and confidence in the organizations that they choose. When it comes to the intellectual drivers, the top three are also the same year over year. The best people, convenience and ease of experience, the quality that's expected. And even when it comes to the sensorial drivers, uh, the preponderance of the top sensorial drivers are the same year over year as well. So part of our orientation and discussion of unwavering hearts and minds is that at the core, at the emotional core, at the intellectual core for our consumer audiences, as they're thinking about healthcare brand experiences, things haven't changed. When you then consider, should I be rethinking everything that I do? Should I double down on this aspect of personalization or focus on a different aspect of of my experience? We've got to be cautious about overcorrecting too far. That's a really interesting point. You know, the way we hear about how things are now unprecedented, right? And there's been dramatic shifts. It seems though that there is a lot of staying power around a good, solid, powerful brand in the healthcare space. If you're centering around those top emotional, intellectual, and as you call them, sensorial attributes that our audiences are looking for, they want consistency in, in what we're doing. Absolutely. People are seeking that level of consistency. And the data proves out that it, you, know, you, you made a really important comment there, and that's that if you have that type of positioning now, And so if you think about it, if you're anchored to those key emotional, intellectual, and sensorial drivers, you're in a strong space. Now, you you might say, uh, well, then what did change? Because why would there be such a strong narrative around the transformation of our industry and the unprecedented disruption? Well, there are things that shifted, but those things are in the bucket that we call behavioral attributes. And that's about how people engage with and connect with brands. And it really amplifies the personalization story that you were talking a bit about. The attributes that became significantly more important that jumped up in terms of their importance from a behavioral perspective include the contactability of an organization, the paths to interacting with them, the availability of the enterprise to meet someone's needs, and then the role of digital tools and web experiences. Mm. And if you think about those two latter items especially, they are the absolute epitome of personalizable touch points, expressions, experiences. So it's that area where we've seen the most significant change. 
fundamentally, people want to engage with us differently. But what they want healthcare brands to stand for has really not shifted all that much. This leads back to my domain, right? When you think about this, in that there is this shift of the the consumer that we interact with in various different ways that we have been interacting with in very successful ways, again, for those strong brands, right, in our marketplace that we've been doing offline and now online becomes equally as important or if at least becoming more prioritized in their overall experience with our organization. Absolutely. And if you consider then overlaying some of those expressions and experiences with the shifting makeup of the segments of the healthcare consumers, one of the things that we've tracked over time is an attitudinal and behavioral segmentation of the U.S. consumer population. And we've looked at how it's shifted and what's become more and less important. The most significantly growing segment of the U.S. healthcare population is a group that we call the holistic health seekers. And this is a group that takes a kind of broad view of what healthcare is, uh, looks at a variety of touch points where they can interact with brands, wants you to look beyond just your typical and expected healthcare delivery choices or solutions from a clinical perspective, and also wants to engage with you on their terms. And so when you think about it, the if you focus your attention. And if you look at where you spend your time, the most important and fastest growing segment of this population is all about how you can personalize and tailor experiences. How much are you spending your time and your organization's time on finding ways to be as flexible as this segment wants you to be? That's a really great opportunity for the digital professionals listening in right now to say, you know, that this is an, an opportunity for us to really shine. I, I notice as you're describing this segmentation, right, this, uh, what we're with the holistic health seekers, that they also seem to be very much into self-care. You know, a lot of us have been talking about, well, if we create a really good online experience for people, you know, how engaged will they be? It, it seems like they're the people that would probably take to these so much better. And this this extends well past telehealth, right? Yeah, absolutely. The, these individuals, and even in some of the behavior of some of the other segments, they have an orientation of prioritizing a, a whole person view. Uh, we don't we don't often talk about holistic. That seems to still be a dirty word in healthcare. Yeah, but that that orientation to whole personness. We've also taken more recently to even talking about healthcare as healthcare, wellness, looking at all of those things as a collective whole, as opposed to thinking about it just as care delivery. It's health, it's care, and it's wellness bundled together and modulated in a way that people can consume it, can connect with it on their terms. And so to your point, providing that level of flexibility, not just in terms of those digital expressions, but also in terms of what they're talking about with their provider, whether it's a virtual appointment or a physical appointment, an in-person appointment, we have to be able to allow for that level of flexibility because that then translates to a feeling that the organization personalizes the experience and then that emotional orientation that it's tailored to them. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And 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 now you're getting into things well outside of the four walls of the clinic or four walls of the hospital, right? Now we're getting into their own personal behaviors. And these seems to be segments where they really care about, you know, actively staying healthy and and you know, wherever it's possible, trying to trying to lead healthy, meaningful lives. And healthcare is a part of that 
bigger picture. Is that a fair assessment of the of that segment? Absolutely. And I think not just that segment, Chris, I think what we're seeing across the board is that there's there's an expectation, even if you're in one in the habitual struggler segment, or even among trusting traditionalists, which are two other segments within the groups that we've tracked over time in humanizing brand experience, no matter what segment you're in, people are tending to look more broadly at healthcare and are thinking about their health and their care and their wellness in situations, in moments that extend well beyond our traditional purview. In fact, some of our research from a customer journey mapping standpoint has shown that there are touch points and interactions with whether it's a a provider, whether it's with an option associated with a brand, uh, before somebody ever walks through your doors or makes an appointment or interacts with you, there are also touch points well after from a billing perspective and a follow-up point of view. Both of those sets of touch points are more impactful, more influential on future choice than anything that happens within those physical or virtual four walls. And it sets up the biggest opportunity for healthcare brands. I think that we've probably ever seen, again, from a brand and experience perspective, because if you want to personalize, you have to take that broad view. You have to move from being experience focused on, you know, what happens when somebody's interacting with us directly and take that experience lens to everything before, during, and after that direct care experience. That's the opportunity that exists, whether you're thinking about it from a digital engagement perspective, or you're just thinking about the words we say um, when somebody picks up the phone and calls us or engages us via a chatbot to book an appointment. Uh, Those are the bigger opportunities more broadly. You know, what we've done is effectively set the table for a way for marketing and brand to play a role in the entire customer experience, right? And so this, again, is like hearkening back to what we talked about earlier in the in the interview here. It's now marketing is extending well past its traditional roles in healthcare. And now we're reaching into the, like you said, before, during, and after as this is the entire landscape of where our brand and our experiences could really play out. Absolutely. From an organizational development standpoint, we're essentially breaking down the legacy silos that have always existed between disciplines within healthcare. And part of that's driven by the the great work of leaders within healthcare to, to think about the world in a different way, to be inspired and driven by maybe a different kind of research approach like we do here in Humanizing Brand Experience, to be challenged as, as you do through the content that you share, to look at the world through um, a, a broader lens and through the best practices of organizations in other categories and in other industries, that's the that's the harder work happening behind the scenes. But it really is transforming what's happening. I think one of the silver linings of the pandemic, if we can find any, uh, is that people are working together from a leadership perspective in healthcare like they never have before. Whether it's directly connecting with one another. Uh, seeing one another's faces more frequently, sometimes provoked by remote work and the fact that now we're on video all the time. I know, at least for me, I see more clients now than I ever did when I was traveling every week. Yeah, There's a transformation that's happened in how we work together that, at least in our minds, wasn't as much by design, but absolutely is going to have a benefit for our consumers and our patients in a way that we haven't seen recently. 
you know, this whole humanizing brand experience volume four is full of some great insights. And um, we're going to link to it in the show notes, Justin, but I'm curious, you're already working towards uh, volume five. So can you give us any kind of sneak peek as to what, what you're going to be paying attention to, maybe some trend lines you're, you're going to be looking at? Absolutely. Uh, as you can imagine, with an insights team getting to dig into this data on an annual basis, they're a group that's really excited about what we have the opportunity to explore. We are going to be doing a refreshing of the segmentation, see what has shifted in terms of the drivers of segment membership, and then also how people segment into different groups. Uh, we've had some discussions thus far with a couple of specialized cancer brands and specialized pediatric brands to apply some of this thinking in a more focused setting. We're also going to be digging into an understanding of, of goal setting. One of the things we've heard, especially recently from consumers, is the role of goals in impacting how they're thinking about health and care and wellness together. So we absolutely are going to try to unpack what health goals are all about. And this is in addition to evaluating more than 200 brands, because we're up over 200 brands that we rank as part of evaluation. We're also measuring um, about 15 disruptor brands. These are the brands that are, in some cases, at some point on the periphery, eager to jump on an opportunity to capture consumers or patients in a new way. And they're doing really well from a brand experience perspective. They, they're delivering at a higher level, even than some of the brands at the top of our ranking. So we'll, we'll also be evaluating those brands and what has shifted in terms of their performance as well over time. I cannot wait to see how this, this unfolds. So when can we expect to see that study, Justin? Well, we are in the midst of continuing to recruit members for the upcoming study. Um, this is a, a piece of work that's driven by the inputs and perspectives of lots of different healthcare leaders across the country, and we're grateful for their continued participation. That's going to run until about October timeframe. We field the study in November, and then we will report on our outcomes in the April-May timeframe 2022. That's when we'll launch the rankings. Um, before that, for all of our members, they get access to all the data, all the insights, the dashboards, but we make it public there in April and May of next year. Interesting. Well, in the very least, what you've done is you've guaranteed another opportunity to come speak to us because when that report comes out, we definitely want to hear from you what you found. But, um, you know, if people are interested in learning more about what you're doing, what Monocle is doing, what are some ways that they could reach out to you and, and get a hold of you online? Uh, two best paths. Um, you can check us out on monogle.com. We've got all of our content associated with uh, humanizing brand experience, as well as the other work we do across both healthcare and other industries. Best place for the content we put out from a healthcare perspective is to connect via LinkedIn. And I, I push all of our and share all of our content um, that we put out from a broader healthcare perspective on that platform and would love to, to pass it along and eventually talk to folks about it if it's something that's of interest. We'll definitely link to all of that in the show notes so people pay attention and click through to learn more. And Justin, I want to thank you so much for your time today. It's been an interesting conversation. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Chris. Really appreciate the opportunity to join you. Special thanks again to Justin for coming on the show for now second time. Appreciate his time and willingness. And uh, it's always great to have uh, these outside experts come on and, and share a little bit about what they're seeing and involved with. So 
Chris, real quick before we get to recommendations, uh, the TPS report, we've mentioned it uh, early on in the show, but uh, it's a weekly email that comes out, five articles to start your week. You can sign up over at touchpoint.health. Also, down at the bottom of that email, there are some little quick links to upcoming industry conferences. Be sure to check those out. You can click through, register. Uh, I believe they've all got virtual attendance options if that's something that is a better fit for you for a variety of reasons, but, uh, but go check those out. All right, uh, let's do this. Let's do a couple of uh, couple of recommendations. What do you got today? Reed, I started watching a show on Hulu that made me think of you. Okay. It's the, a new mystery comedy television series called Only Murders in the Building. And it stars Steve Martin and, and Martin Short. Oh, boy. And Selena Gomez. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting crew. It's uh, set in a... Upper East Side large apartment complex in New York, where there's you know many different types of tenants, of which Steve Martin and Martin Short are both tenants in this apartment building, and a murder takes place in their apartment building, and the two of them, along with Selena Gomez, who is another tenant, decide to investigate it and start a true crime podcast about the murder. <laughs> So every episode is basically, you know, a turn in the story and they position it as an episode in the podcast. You know, Martin Short is running around with this big boom microphone and, you know, they're, they're talking about, they're investigating real life. And then, uh, and then he turns to Steve Martin and he says, can you repeat that again, but a little slower into the microphone? Yeah. Cause he's, he's actually real time producing this podcast. Tina Fey joins as a, a character that's, Loosely based on Sarah Caning from Serial. Oh, man. They go to her for advice about how to do their podcast. All right. This sounds good. I'm going to I'm gonna have to check it out. LV Murders in the Building. Well, there you go. Very good. Very good. Um, okay. I've got a recommendation and a request. I'm not sure if that's allowed, but since we produced the podcast, I will let it slide. I have started collecting baseball cards again. Well, really with my son. I mean, he, he's he's the one that's kind of gotten into it. We got all my old baseball cards and basketball cards and football cards out and, you know, that kind of thing. So he's, he's a huge basketball guy. He's into basketball. We can't – so you can't find these cards. They, they, like, they're just non-existent. Like Target, Walmart, all those places took them off the shelf because there were fights. And so now they come out like on Friday mornings and they're gone in the matter of minutes and they've had to limit the amount people can buy. I mean, it's a whole thing now. So uh, basketball cards are my recommendation, baseball cards, which, whichever you fancy, but it's just kind of fun to open packs of cards and go through them. But my request is if anybody sees basketball cards, shoot me a note, buy them, I'll pay you back. So there you wow. Go. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's good times though. It's good times. It's fun. It's fun to dig in and open, but yeah, they're, they're almost impossible to find. So, all right. Well, another good episode in the books. Thanks again for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you happen to uh, be tuning in from, whether that's streaming or otherwise, uh, tell a friend, three friends specifically, just anyone in proximity will be fine. Just let them tune into the show, talk it up. Be a huge help. Uh, word of mouth is still uh, the number one form. So thanks again. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and uh, we'll do this again. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.